High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, patrons of Mel's Drive-In, little kids out past their bedtime, out-of-towners in cowboy hats, oh, and an extra special shout-out to that blonde in the T-Bird out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at their teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the slumber party's at my place this evening. But first... School is still in session, and we got some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. First of all, for those of you in the United States, happy Thanksgiving. Hope yours was as festive and enjoyable as mine was. Hope you ate some good turkey and some good food and just, you know, had a blast with family and friends. And those of you not in the United States or didn't celebrate Thanksgiving, well, happy Thursday, I guess, or yesterday. You know what I mean. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Thanksgiving, did you listen to Foodie Films, my partner on PSL of Hoffman, Kyle Reinfried? You know him as the Foodie Films man himself. He's been on the show a million times. His show, of course, is Foodie Films. And not only was I on last week's episode, but I was on this week's very special Thanksgiving episode as well. A Friendsgiving, a Foodie Films Friendsgiving, if you will, where Kyle and I talk about all the Thanksgiving episodes of a little little TV show. I'm not sure if you heard of it. It's called Friends. <laughs> Check it out. I had a blast recording it. It was awesome. And you know where you can find that show, wherever you get your podcast, including where you're listening today, whether it be Google Play, whether it be Spotify, whether it be Stitcher, whether it be Apple Podcasts, or of course, as always, on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And while you're there, don't mind, you know, going onto the high school slumber party area of whatever podcast app you listen with. I know you know how to get there because you're here now. And why don't you hit that review button and write us a review or give us a five-star rating. All that helps our algorithm and all that is very important homework for you guys because I love doing High School Slumber Party. In fact, it's one of the things I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for this podcast. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for all the guests I've had on High School Slumber Party this year, this year and beyond, I should say. I'm thankful for all of it. And honestly, I thank you guys for giving me purpose in life. That sounds very deep, but but no, it is, because 
like I said, I love doing this show. I love watching these teen movies, and I love hearing from you guys, the listeners, on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's just, it warms my heart so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, Belle. I was in the middle of thanking everyone. Ugh, the thing rings at the most inopportune times. Anyway, uh, lost my train of thought here. I guess the best way you can help me out is by listening, of course, but also telling a friend about High School Slumber Party. You know, that, that's the best way. This is the giving season. We're entering the holiday season where we give gifts. I always say the greatest gift you can give anyone is the gift of High School Slumber Party. It's free. It's weekly. It's fun, I hope. So tell a friend about High School Slumber Party. Now, your homework this week, it wasn't that hard, because if you did your homework last week, you kind of had an easy week, and that's perfect for the Thanksgiving week, the short Thanksgiving week. And it was to watch American Graffiti, and of course, listen to last week's episode of American Graffiti, but you'd know that because you're here, because this was a two-parter. This is a big film, George Lucas film. You know George Lucas from Star Wars, that guy. Well, this, some people say this is his best film, not Star Wars. Maybe yes, maybe no, but it's certainly one of his greatest movies, and proof that he's actually a very, very creative and talented person. So, I hope you enjoyed American Graffiti. I know my two guests did, and they're returning from last week, of course, to wrap up our discussion today, and they're Mike Manzi from a million Cage Club Podcast Network shows, one of the founders, the resident historian, the substitute teacher, the teacher's aide, the teacher's assistant, the teacher when I'm not here, the cool kid in class, the man at the back of the class, so many nicknames for Mike Manzi. And of course, another returning guest, one of my favorites, Chris Podcasts. Oh, it's a great episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So let me just get my nickel and pop it in the old jukebox. And don't forget, pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. I'm going to enjoy this nice leftover Thanksgiving sandwich with a moist maker while I play you a song called Green Onions, How Appropriate, by Booker T and the MGs. Class dismissed. You know, because the drag race is kind of the final, or one of the final scenes, we'll save John Milner for last. Let's do Kurt Henderson. Let's do Richard Dreyfus. So so he's the character, again, who, who's... I think he gets a scholarship right at the beginning, and, and mm-hmm. at the start of it, he's the most, like, reluctant to go off to college. And he's supposed to, but he's clearly questioning it. And then, of course, you know, while they're cruising, he sees that blonde in the in the T-bird, and the film kind of becomes about him trying to find this girl. He's complaining originally about 
the, the quality of women has gone down and he, he can't find like the perfect woman and he sees the perfect woman and he must have her. Steven, cut over to G Street. I just saw a vision. I saw a goddess. Come on, you gotta catch up to her. You see anything? Come on, Kurt. We can't be spending half the night chasing girls down for you. Maury, huh? I'm telling you, this was the most perfect, dazzling creature I've ever seen. She's gone. Get it. She spoke to me. She spoke to me right through the window. I think she said, I love you. That means nothing to you people. You have no romance, no soul. She, someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me. Will you turn the corner? Oh, Kurt. And he, uh, he keeps getting, like, hints. Like, he describes her to people, and they, uh, one of them says, oh, she's the, uh, the trophy wife of, like, a car dealer. Another <laughs> says, she's a, oh, yeah, she's a prostitute. And he keeps just, like, not believing it. He, he keeps chasing a reason to stay in town. And it's, it's my favorite arc, personally, of the movie. I feel like if there was a character I was most like, it'd probably be him. He's just like, he's just a guy. He's very much the straight man. He's the Jerry Seinfeld of the group that's like holding <laughs> the rest of them together. And yeah, uh, other than a very slapsticky diversion, like his story is very straightforward. Yeah. No. Yeah. That, that, that is pretty great how she does represent like everything he loves about home like why and a reason to stay and like he's desperately searching for a reason not to go even though like he's totally ready to leave and equipped to sort of thrive outside of this environment and he's almost the only one who can't see it uh until the end i mean even the pharaohs end up seeing something in him right and want him to join their car club which is my favorite kind of stuff but um <laughs> but i also do love how like the movie or at least his part, like, she just pops up in and out, like, you know, and, like, yes, like, the whole goal is to talk to her and to meet her and everything. I love the way he just keeps getting sidetracked. Like, first he goes to the hop, and then he gets in the car with his ex-girlfriend, and then he gets up with the pharaohs, and then he goes to meet the wolf man. <laughs> it's just, it's so great. Seems like both you guys really enjoyed what he was all about. You know, my favorite stuff in this movie, at least this screening uh is when he gets mixed up with the pharaohs they actually end up becoming a reason to leave town i love that but um you know just i don't know like they're like the greaser you know you got john milner who's like the car guy but these are what you think of with like juvenile delinquency right like this is like uh, like like the movie grease kind of almost yeah 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 right but for real and they even you know they're they're very imposing and they're you know, very threatening and, you know, they're very, the very opposite of him. But, uh, like, he finds this side of himself, like, you know, when they go to rip off the uh, the lodge um, and he uses his, like, quick thinking because they gave him the scholarship to be, like, a distraction. And then when they're talking about, like, getting over on the cops, like, he has, like, the courage to crawl under the car and eventually, like, scream at the cops to get him to chase him and stuff. So um, I love just over the course of this how he sort of, like, digs down and, like, realizes, like, oh, my God, if I could do this, like, I could leave town. Like, I could do whatever, you know? And and then just culminating with him at the Wolfman's radio station, that, that seemed, like, almost brought a tear to my eye. Like, it's just so great the way it's all set up and he's talking about the Wolfman and... 
Yeah, I, I just love like all of this stuff. Yeah, he's a very interesting character because uh, back a little when he's in the car with his ex-girlfriend, he's talking about how he saw the most beautiful uh, girl in the world to her, and then he ends up inviting his ex-girlfriend into the back seat. <laughs> and she's just like, okay, refresh my memory. Why does What's the big incident that stops them from like doing oh. anything? A guy pulls up alongside, and her friend's like, oh, I really like this guy. Can you say something for oh, me? Oh, that's whatever? right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, she thinks you've got rippling biceps, and like really embarrasses her. <laughs> I just, her I, I loved her reaction, uh, the driver. I forgot her name. I think her name was Bobby or something. Yeah. And, and she just literally stops the car and just like, get the fuck out of my car. And you know what? That, that character always has like pretty much the whole movie. He's got a real, like he's got a smile on his face. Like he's... Out of everyone, I feel like he's enjoying this night the most. Which is odd, because it seems like he has the most, like, like he's got to make a decision here. And everyone's asking him about it. Everyone's putting pressure on him about it. But then he just kind of, like, rides with the night and enjoys it. And then it ends up, like, influencing his decision for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want this, what I'm about to say, but I could definitely see this, is like, this is a guy, this this guy to me feels almost in the vein of something like The Graduate or something, like, I feel like there's movies about just his journey out there, that like, without all the peripheral shenanigans and cutting off to, like, other storylines. Like, this, this to me feels like something you can make an entire movie about this guy. It's funny you say that, Mike, because I think Richard Dreyfuss was, like, a finalist to get Dustin Hoffman's oh, role yeah, in Graduate. And he's, and he's in it at the very, very end. He's, like, one of the lodgers oh, yeah. where uh, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman's staying, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. What about you, Chris, with this uh, character? Well, he He's desperate to track down this, this mystery blonde in any way, so he goes to the radio station and talks to the uh, just some guy who's running it because Wolfman, uh, his shows are broadcast from a blimp or whatever. Like they, There's a different rumor that everyone has about Wolfman Jack, which I, which I love throughout the... It's a running thing throughout the movie. And uh, he just shares a popsicle and gets some advice from the guy. <laughs> are you the Wolfman? <sighs> no, man, I'm not the Wolfman. Wait a minute. He's on tape. <laughs> the man is on tape. Well, uh, where where is he now? I mean, uh, where does he work? The Wolfman is everywhere. Well, I gotta give him this note. Can I work on your Wolfman? Here, let me see the note. Well, that's just a dedication, man. What I can do is I relay it. It'll be on tomorrow or Tuesday. No, no, no. See, this is very important. You see, I may be leaving town tomorrow, and it's very important that I... Damn it, that I reach this girl right now. You don't know whether you're going to leave town or not? Well, I'm supposed to go to college back east tomorrow. And I don't know if I'm going to go. I don't know. Wait a minute. Have a popsicle. <laughs> Have a pop... No, huh? No, thanks. Sit down a minute. It's early in the morning. Damn. I can't talk for the Wolfman, but I can tell you one thing. If the Wolfman was here, he'd say, get your ass in gear. 
The Wolfman comes in here occasionally, bringing tapes, you know, to check up on me and whatnot. Yeah. And the places he talks about that he's been, the things he's seen. And there's a great big beautiful world out there. And here I sit, sucking on popsicles. Wanting to leave? I'm not a young man anymore. And the Wolfman gave me my start in the business, and I like it. I tell you what, if I can possibly do it tonight, I'll try to relay this dedication in and get it on the air for you later on. That would be terrific. Really. Thanks. Yes, man. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Really. I appreciate it. Sticky little mothers, ain't they? They really six or seven of them, right? I know. I got I got a whole whole refrigerator full. Thanks a lot. See you later. Appreciate it. And um, it turns out that that actually was Wolfman, and he hears that on the radio, as does the mystery blonde, and he gets a he gets a phone call. He's just got this look on his face where he already knows the answer to this. It's like he's made peace with his decision. It's like right as the sun is coming up, and she says that uh, you know, if you're around tonight, I'll be on my usual street, which she used the word cruising. I think at the time that probably didn't mean like Al Pacino cruising. Like she wasn't confirmed a prostitute. No, yeah. I think that's just like, no, 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 that's no, the no, street. No. She... This isn't, this isn't yeah. Pacino's cruise. Right, yeah. <laughs> they, they, someone said, oh yeah, it's just prostitute. So I was like, wait, oh no. Okay. Like this is the sixties. Words mean different things. Um, so, <laughs> so, and he's just like, she's like, well, will I see you around tonight? And he's just like, no, no, I don't think we will. And I, I love that. I love how just, with that one line and with his with his facials, he uh he really nails that character's decision and the kind of conclusion of that plot. And I love it. And that all really goes to the writing and Richard Dreyfus. I think he's great in this. Yeah, no, he really is. And from like the Wolfman Jack scene. And by the way, I, I maybe we're taking for granted. Um, maybe some of our younger audience members out there aren't familiar. Wolfman Jack was an actual DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, George Lucas. One of his dreams at USC was to make a documentary on Wolfman Jack. He wasn't able to oh. do it for whatever reason. He uh, wrote a kind of Wolfman Jack-like character in this film, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola said to him, hey, why not just make it Wolfman Jack? Like, that would be a cool little cameo you can do here. And they did. And I, I read that Wolfman Jack actually, like, ad-libbed a couple of his lines, which is awesome, because he's not like... I mean, he's still an entertainer, so, so I get it. And yeah, he's a he's a DJ at that. So like all that stuff you hear him doing, all those tapes, you know that that to me it seems like on the fly. You know he's screwing with his audience as he's <laughs> broadcasting. Yeah, and I think it's just it's such a great moment when you find out it's him. And I know it's a little like it might seem a little tropey today, but I don't know how many times mm-hmm. films were doing that at the time. Like the character who's the sage person and like mm-hmm. wink wink, he's actually that person. But yeah. I loved it. And again, how Richard Dreyfus sees it has that smile on his face, and it almost carries him to that telephone scene. He's so excited when she calls, and it's more about like the quest being accomplished than like. Because again, like you said, he knows he's leaving already. His smile brought a smile to my mm-hmm. face at that ending. So. Yeah, I like how uh, Wolfman Jack and the, all of the diegetic, he's the source of the diegetic music throughout this movie. Mm. And uh, like his voice just kind of pops up here and there on the radio, which kind of creates a through line, a link between all of the characters' different stories, even when they're not together. You're reminded like this is all happening at the same time. And um, that is kind of a thing that will be just one more piece of DNA that this movie has given to cinema 
Um, I know the Warriors kind of uses that as like a Greek chorus kind of thing to great effect. And I know I know that there is oh, yeah. a high school movie where like the high like the high school radio or whatever does that. Like my head is saying it's Usher and, and she's all that, but I feel like there's another one that's even more prominent. <laughs> it's a thing that uh, gets used a lot, and uh, it's it's really cool to see it. Maybe where its origins even are. Yeah. You know, it, it's just that feeling again of just like continuing this. It's like song after song after song. This isn't the first movie to just uh, replace music with like rock music instead of like the score, but it is an mm-hmm. early one to do that. I, I think Easy Rider had done it before this. Uh, but you know what the difference here and the thing that just blows my mind every time is the music is not coming through loud and clear. It sounds like it's coming through a car like a car stereo or through a car on the other side of the street or, you know, a a window from a roof, uh, you know, from a building somewhere. Like, I just love the way the sound, it's like, you know, it's not crystal clear. It just adds to the reality so much. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Like, it just feels like we're along uh, with them. I mean, not trying to put a pun here, but like along with them for the ride, you know, uh, for this entire film. I mean, this is a great time to just, uh, talk about this soundtrack and this just like the music overall like i gotta get this on vinyl i can't believe i don't have this on vinyl i know that's the most hipster comment <laughs> if you've ever heard but still i need this on vinyl like i can't believe i do not have it on vinyl i think they actually used and recorded their own 45s that they you know collected growing up as kids and everything and they just put it on a hi-fi system and put a mic up to it or or somewhere like a couple feet away or whatever and they did all kinds of crazy sound design in this movie, but yeah, it's so great. Yeah, oh, yeah the sound sure. is great. Uh, what you were just saying with like how it sounds like it's coming through radios. I like the f- handful of times when like I think maybe it happens the most at the um, the drive-through where like you kind of hear it layered because it's coming from so many different cars in different directions. Mm. I thought that was really awesome. And then kind of what Mike said before, and I, I had the same the same thoughts. It's like the. Uh, Tarantino like would would do this with Once Upon a Time Hollywood with like most of his movies. It just feels like this is the the author's like personal playlist of that time, and it's why it works yeah. so well. There's so much authenticity to it. Yeah, and it's funny because like uh, it's so easy for us to make a playlist today, but obviously at the time it maybe not so easy. And it just I could imagine just going to the theater, seeing this film, and just being blown away by the music and. Even people being like, oh, remember that song or remember that song? Like, it must have been really cool if someone was lucky enough to see this in theaters when oh, it came out. Oh, my God. The, the the boomers, like, must have shit their pants every time this came out, like, for one day. <laughs> and I saw it got released in 72, and that makes, uh, that like, oh, not 72, like, uh, the late 80s. Because, like, that makes sense. Like, before, like, VHS was, like, a common thing, like, the boomers needed something to feel nostalgic for that wasn't just happy days. Like, I get why this movie... <laughs> was so successful and then continued to be successful like 10 years later. And it's it's like a jukebox as it goes along. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and you know, the, if you think of like the music at the times that was coming out when this movie came out, like so drastically different than doo-wop and that early rock and roll stuff, you know, and getting into like psychedelic music and all kinds of things, Grateful Dead and stuff. I mean, you know, Woodstock. And, <laughs> and I mean, you know, I don't think... I mean, there might have been, I think there was some doo-wop at Woodstock, but it's just, yeah, it's just a whole different soundscape out there on the radio. So, 
uh, it must have been really great to go back and be like, oh my god, I remember this song, I remember this song, like, I remember this song. <laughs> it's not like, to, nowadays you get shit like Suicide Squad, where it's just like, you know, every new scene they're dropping a song and they're playing like a couple bars of it and it's just like, I, we get it, you're obnoxious, this soundtrack blows, but like, you know, it's the same theory, it's just put into practice perfectly here. Yeah, again, mm-hmm. especially, it just fits so well with the film, and like you said, it's coming out of... Uh, the, the car stereo. That's why it feels like, like I said, I'll say it again, like one big party throughout this film. The song that keeps popping into my head is the, uh, you know, little darling, pop, pop, shot. Like, I don't know why that keeps popping into my head, but I hear that, like, wah, 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 wah. Maybe this is, maybe this, little, this is just the podcast host to me. Finding a segue, but uh, um, no, just the, the the one moment I loved and the reason why I I love our our greaser main character is because he says the Beach Boys suck, and that is something that's a hot take. I agree with. Oh, Ooh. yes, he um, rock and roll's been going downhill ever since Buddy Holly died. Like I took that to heart in high school. I was like, he's probably right, and I got way into Buddy Holly. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, certainly, certainly a hot take. All right, let's talk about him then, John Milner. Um, again, I, I love this character. He he is the Fonzie. He is the bad boy. But he's still like he's not in the Pharaohs or anything. He's solo. Yeah, he's Han Solo. So <laughs> what you did there? Um, he's still friends with this uh, main clique of you know kind of I don't want to say nerdy guys, but the two other guys. Uh, I mean, they're pretty nerdy. You know, they're not. I know he's class president, one of them, but they're all like seem like relatively smart. You know. I'm, I'm not saying that Milner's dumb, but he certainly, you know, he, he's all about that bad boy greaser lifestyle. Like, if he's in the boy band, he's still in the boy band, but he's the bad boy, you know. Do you uh, think? All, do you think all greasers had the time? It was like a, it was like a Jedi master and Padawan kind of thing. Because like the Fonz had geeky little Richie Cunningham. Do you think all oh, greasers yeah. had like little geek to protect and, and like carry around with them? <laughs> oh man, I hope so. That's really cool if that's the case. <laughs> Uh, well, I love that. Um, I love that about him. It like it's what sets him apart. Like, I mean, he does have those friends, but he kind of is just. I always took him more as like a loner because he's not in a car club like the Pharaohs. Um, like he's not out there like committing crimes. Like he's just a cruiser, like straight up. And he's a mechanic too. You know, like his stroll through the graveyard. He knows about the culture, the car culture, so much, and like. That's, I love that's what he represents, and I love that their clique are all sort of like this, you know, it's like uh, they got the the really cool kid, they got the really nerdy guy, and then they got, like, two guys who are sort of, like, in the middle of that, right? Like, they could go either way, sort of. Like, I feel like any minute now, one could be really cool, and the other could be super nerdy, but they're right down the middle. You know, again... The movie, I feel it's like everyone would judge these kids by the way they dressed and the way they looked and, you know, would never give them a shot. And, like, parents would never, you know, talk to a guy like John Melner seriously unless they needed, like, their hubcaps changed or, like, a tire changed or something. But, like, he's he's got a heart of gold. Like, he takes care of this kid the whole movie. You know, he's friends with straight guys, like, the straight people. Like, they're not out there juvenile delinquents and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's such a good character moment how when he sees Toad getting beat up, like he immediately pulls that car over and sprints into that fight, like no hesitation whatsoever. It's just it's a really good character moment because you don't have really they don't intersect that much uh, here and there until the very end of the movie. 
Um, so I do, I do love that one, that intersection more than any of the others. I agree with that. And of course he's, um, well, he has a bad or good reputation depending on, you know, how you feel about it, but he's known as the fastest drag racer in town. He's got that yellow hot rod, very beautiful looking car. And it's it just, for him, it's just about cruising and racing. And when he pulls up to that car with the girls, he just wants a girl to hop in with him. Someone suggests their sister, and out comes this little girl, and she just becomes his companion for the night. He Originally, he's trying to get rid of her, and again, I love, I just love their dynamic. Mm-hmm. As we said, Mackenzie Phillips acts so well, <laughs> uh, and they play against each other. Uh, so well, what kind of, I mean, what were your favorite moments between the two of them before we get to the end? I, I love when they, uh, they jump out of the car of the people who threw a water balloon at them and they, uh, what they like, they, they I don't know why she just has shaving cream, but they, they just like trash the car a little bit, uh, but like in a, in a playful way. Um, yeah. and it was just a neat little character moment. I, I enjoyed that. Did you read that uh, the water balloon wasn't really supposed to hit her? Oh, really? Yeah, it was supposed to hit, I think, either him or, like, just blow up, not blow up, you know, like, break in the car, and it hit her right in the face, and them, them laughing was just, like, their natural take. And Oh, that's George, so good. Ge- yeah, George Lucas kept it in, which, yeah, I, I think is awesome. Yeah, good that was such, George a, Lucas. such a natural moment there. I, I didn't remember thinking, like, she, she kind of looked like she didn't see it coming yeah side note side yeah. note did you catch the license plate of his car yeah thx oh yeah yeah thx 138 love it <laughs> yeah that's perfect mike how about you any other uh, mo- moments with her and him that you liked so like I, I really like all the stuff going on in the car but i like at the end how he gives the uh little memento for her to remember him by i thought that was really mm-hmm. sweet like after all that like um you know like i could probably they'll probably hang out again sometime yeah, no, uh, those elements were great because, again, he's trying to get rid of her. Um, she kind of, like, I mean, I didn't see it as creepy, but then eventually, like, he's joking around, like, coming on to her, and that's when she's like, finally gives him her address and t- and takes her home, but she wants that uh, that, that piece. And she she's like, oh, it's like a ring, so it kind of means we're going steady. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know. They, they played off each other really really well there's also that scene where um i guess it's like a rich kid and he he goes up to him and he's talking about like getting his car fixed and he kind of has to go into his like professional mode like yes sir i'll fix it and it's like by the way this is Mm -hmm. my cousin and she gets upset with him what do you say al not much uh say you think if i brought my mopar by uh, the shop on monday you'd be the spot with the bumper bracket sure anything uh just come by before noon all right sure fine hey you met linda uh, no, no. Hi, Linda. Uh, this is my, uh... Cousin, Carol. Carol? Linda? Al? I'm, uh, babysitting. Babysitting? Yeah, Jesus, watch it, will you? Been hitting me all night. Kids will be kids, you know. Come on, goddammit! Why don't you grow up, for Christ's sake? We don't get along too well. You know how it is. Been like this all. Spastic creep. I just love, um, again, th- their their play with each other and kind of like, they're both trying to be something they're a little bit not yeah. and then having to just, uh, I don't know, like show who they really are in certain moments and it's it, it almost represents a little bit of his innocence and once she leaves the car, it's just like uh, something bad's going to happen. I didn't remember, to be honest with you, if he died or not in this film. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, spoiler alert, he doesn't. But I was afraid, like, oh my god, wait, does he die after, like, she left the car? Because I don't know. I thought it was, like, that that was the last time she would ever see him or something. Yeah, I love it because they're the only two that, for the most part, they're they're stuck in a car together for the entire movie. Like, not necessarily trapped or anything, but, you know, more than anyone else, we're picking up and they're in that car. And uh, they're almost going through, like, a whole relationship together. Like, you know, at times they're, like, bickering brother and sister, but by the end they're genuine friends I feel like they've actually forged a bond of some kind and they'll be friends yeah it's like really sweet I don't know <laughs> yeah and then of course we build to the drag racing scene um I mean I'll oh, just yeah. ask off the bat what did you think of this scene it's, it's Harrison Ford is hunting essentially him down for this big race because uh, he, he's the best in the valley and uh how would you think this scene played out because I, I got some opinions I love that um the cowboy hat was just because he didn't want to cut his hair. Like it's something that works out so well because he is kind of like the, the hot shit cowboy who like strolls into town to challenge the fastest gun in the West, you know? And he's just kind of this presence looming over the whole movie throughout, but it's not like a threatening presence at all until I would say until um, Ron Howard's girlfriend gets in that car. And then mm-hmm. once everything kind of starts to come together, there's a lot of tension there. Yeah, and they, even his run-in with John earlier is played more for laughs, and they do sort of like a test run from light to light. They're like That was real Fast and the Furious, and <laughs> they're throwing insults at each other, talking about how ugly their cars are and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and yeah. So- talk to talk but at the end you know even john says like he he could have had him he's just he was too stupid too cocky or something you know and and john just never or at least in this movie you know we find out like he just never really you know he's too acute too aware like he knows the game too what much like what to do that he never loses that control even if he was gonna lose like he'd rather lose than crash but Bob Falfa would rather crash to win. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally forgot about that trash talk scene. I like how the little girl like tries to be a part of it. And she's like, your car is uglier than me, and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, so, I mean, the physical drag racing, though, I, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I'm so used to like the high-level Fast and Furious drag races of, mm-hmm. of today's cinema that I was like, oh, I mean, it's cool that the car blew up, but that was it? It took like two, well, two seconds, but I know that's accurate. There's two things I truly love about it. One is the build-up for me is like, like you said, like kind of the whole movie. And then once the girl gets in the car with him, you're like, all right, this 
is you know something bad's gonna happen and so the actual race it's not so much how it like plays out to me mm. it's more like the build up in the moment but i also feel like this is not shot cinematically intentionally like this is a real this is how it must really look right like it's quick it's brutal it's fast and it's dangerous and you know it's out in the middle of nowhere and when someone rolls their car they better get out of there fast because back then that shit would just you know explode on you (laughs) yeah it's not in the middle of tokyo we're not getting like interior engine cgi shots so it's just different but again like you said it's real and it's cool um any any thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, I, I feel the same way. For something that was built up so much, it is over quickly, and that's that's fine. Uh, it my only issue here was I felt the editing in this movie was so good that the editing of the crash is actually terrible. Uh, like it it keeps cutting between different <laughs> perspectives and angles so many times. It reminded me of like a Jackie Chan movie where like they got they did the stunt so many times and it was so dangerous that like they just used different camera angles despite breaking the pace and like the immersion of the film. Um, so that's the only thing that really pulled me out of it, but. I mean, it was like the last five minutes of the movie anyway, so. Yeah, and we get that uh, that iconic shot of um, Ron Howard, like, back with the girl, and it's evident that he's going to stay. We already discussed the uh, the conversation from the blonde on the phone with Richard Dreyfus, And then, again, the conversation with uh, the, the geeky guy and John Milner, and just in terms of what you were saying, Mike, where he's like, he would have had me. And he, he genuinely seems, like, disappointed, <laughs> You know, that's where does it end in the airport? Right. And it's that Mm -hmm. old it's that old film switcheroo. The guy who was everyone thought was leaving stays and the one who everyone thought was staying leaves. But I didn't mind it. I kind of like when movies do that. What do you think of just like where every character, not the um, not the little uh, epilogue, Mm -hmm. but where every character wound up at this point at the airport? Yeah, that that was fine by me i think it made sense for everybody i feel like the, the only one who maybe didn't get a clear like end to their arc well i guess i guess toad did it just comes a little bit before all of that um and mm-hmm. then at the drag race john gets his and then um dreyfus and, and cunningham here and yeah the switch is good he even says the same thing that dreyfus says at the beginning of the movie like i think i'll stay and do one year of junior college and i think the ending on the plane the symbolism is maybe a little heavy-handed just him looking out of the plane and seeing the the white T-bird driving by, but I don't know. I I, I really liked it yeah. anyway. I I um again just Dreyfus's emotions and, and his face, his reactions throughout this whole movie. I, I was on board with him the whole time, and I was really rooting for his character. And I think that's a a great send off to the movie. I'm surprised he wasn't nominated. Yeah, honestly, he's the one I would have picked. What about you, Mike? Um, yeah, I really love this. I love the idea that um, like he's been up all night, and now he's going to go on that plane, <laughs> and he's going to go off to school, and he's like so energized and every everybody is everybody's so still so up after that late night um but it's a great curtain call you know that's what everybody's here together to see him off and um you know it's kind of funny you say they pull like the switcheroo but i just i always had this feeling watching it even for the first time i was like ron howard's not going anywhere and you know richard dreyfus is definitely going to make that flight like i just i don't know there's just something about it i don't feel like the movie's necessarily trying to trick anybody no you know no i don't saying? think that yeah yeah um and it's you know it's in the air obviously but i don't know i just always had the feeling that he was going to get on that plane so i'm always happy uh, when he does and um 
maybe nowadays the most striking thing I'm realizing is like they're right there on the tarmac. And he just like <laughs> walks up one of those, you know, flights of stairs onto his plane, which like only, you know, the elite 1% can do these days, I guess. <laughs> or if you're, I don't know, if you own your own plane. Yeah, which is the elite 1% pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I forgot what the airline was called, but it was something funny. And that was slightly distracting. But, you know, maybe it was a real airline at the time. It'd be funny if it was like Sith Airlines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we all missed it. <laughs> Sebulba Air. Sebulba Air. <laughs> That's right, guys. That wasn't a drag race. That was a pod race. Oh, God. Do you think that he was, you know, did you see any of the uh, pod racing in this drag race? I'm just no, kidding. but but if you go back and you do watch, if you go watch that pod race, like, that is definitely, like, him trying to play with his, you know, matchbox cars again and be like, all right, everything is, it's because those pods are just giant, huge engines that drag a person oh, in yeah. the seat, you know? So it's just, you know. They're very hot rod-like. When you yeah, yeah, they're it. space hot rods. That's exactly what I was trying to get to. I remember bringing Modesto. That was my Tatooine. You know, like, that's totally like what he was fucking saying on set. <laughs> yeah, over I, on I, uh, I... pod racing on Planet Bob Alpha. <laughs> Whatever. Here's here's another hot take for me. Uh, I like the pod racing sequence in The Phantom Menace. It just belongs in a different movie. Oh, no, I don't disagree with that. Like, I, I do actually like pod racing. Like, sometimes I think it feels like, or it's maybe today people are going to think, oh, just completely shit on all of George Lucas's work after right. this film. But no, there are cool elements. It's just funny. <laughs> Brian, you and I have discussed at barbecues before doing, like, well, I've talked about maybe doing Star Wars pod- podcast at one point, um, not, but uh, we talked about, like, you know, just doing a podcast about pod racing called, <laughs> called the podcast. Yeah, we have talked about it. So we do have an affinity for it, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, were you guys fans of the very good N64 pod racing game? Because I love that game more oh, yeah. than Mario Kart. Quadranero. Wow. He's my man. Odie Mandrell. All right. I think we're losing our audience here. <laughs> yeah, all right. For the one person still listening. <laughs> I, I wish the movie ended on that T-Bird. I'm going to say it. I don't like the, the cards. Yeah, I was just going to ask. How do you guys feel well, about, about the I th- cards there? Uh, I, thought there I thought there were more. Like, I remember it being, like, way more. And now I think that uh, Animal House really nailed it. Like, they, you know, yeah. that's it works better for me there here it feels like a downer oh yeah <laughs> it's a super downer and like i don't want to leave i never really want to leave a movie like depressed i mean come on <laughs> especially one that left you on such kind of a high note yeah. so just just to clarify the first one it says john milner was killed by a drunk driver in december 1964 so uh you know not long after two this. years later yeah terry fields was reported missing in action near ann Locke. So Vietnam in December in 1965. Steve uh, is an insurance agent in Modesto, which is also depressing. And Kurt <laughs> and Kurt Henderson is a writer living in Canada. Like it's just so random. <laughs> well, I no, the, I think the implication there is that he's a draft dodger. Oh, oh shit! That, good call. I never got that. Good call. Because, I like that because I think I think all of this and. You know, if if I was to make one George Lucas special edition change forty years down the line, I get I get why it ends like this because again, tying in with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, no spoilers for that. It it's about the end of the era or people in that era not knowing it was the end, and that end comes so hard for them between the Kennedy assassination, Vietnam, all of that stuff that I think at the time this movie, for what it was trying to represent, it needed it. 
I think gotcha. now, I think now that that stuff doesn't really affect me at all. Now I wish it just ended on on the T bird, but I get mm-hmm. why it's there. I get it. I just don't care. I like that. That's no, yeah, I like that. Though, but that's definitely like you know an art an art house touch too far, maybe for me at this point. You know, where it's like you should have just gone with the happy ending. You had to twist the knife, didn't you? <laughs> and it's like, all right, we because we are getting the point, right? Like we all know what year this takes place, you know. And if you know your history a little bit, and I guess that's the same as Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood. It's like if you know your history, you're gonna get way more out of just yeah. you know watching shit unfold and knowing that there's like a looming ominous presence in the world happening somewhere. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so uh, just a note on this scene: a lot of people, even at the time, asked. Why don't we get any information on the girls? Like, what happened oh. to them? And one famous critic at the time even called the film misogynistic because of it. And the reason George Lucas said that he didn't do that is because he thought that would make uh, the ending feel too long. Hmm. Which, it's kind of weird because it would just take like two more seconds, you know? But I don't know. I mean, you could have easily just added a line that Ron Howard married his girlfriend, you know, and they lived together in Modesto <laughs> or something, right? Or, or divorced her and then they got divorced four years later. <laughs> That's more yeah. accurate, yeah. I, th- I <laughs> think like he, the tone maybe, they set. Maybe if he wasn't trying to fit them all on one on one, you know, page there, he would have added them. But uh, I, th- I think I think starting with Animal House, they do it for like every character having it in their own frame, right? With like the black bar on the side. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of like Stand by Me, and I think all of those movies kind of ape that one and not not quite this. They like perfected this this example of it. And yeah, um, I don't, I never, I didn't really think about that honestly. Because it really does feel like the movie is built around those four guys, but and I think it's probably implied that if he's still there, it's because he's with her. But yeah, and I mean, it's not it's not a terrible point that there is just nothing about them at all. No, because I mean, they're not. I, I agree with it. I mean, it's not something I saw, but once I read it, like I said, I agreed with it because, at the very least, um, Ron Howard's girlfriend. Sorry about the names and the like. The younger girl really shine as a character so if you're gonna do this i mean what's like another line or two about them but i mean it is what it is it Mm -hmm. didn't like ruin the film for me or anything like that well i mean if you're really dying to know (laughs) you could watch even more american graffiti i didn't know that existed until today neither did i'm so mad like really i don't mike have you seen uh, it have you seen it i've i've tried to watch it two or three times i can't i can't it's 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 almost it's un mm, I'd love to try it one more time, but it's like kind of unwatchable for me. It's just oof, it's rough. It really pisses me off like that it exists. I hate when this happened. I talked about this on a um, the Last Picture Show, which is another like early seventies film we did for for this podcast, and they eventually made like a sequel in the nineties. And I'm like, why? You know, this one came out in seventy nine. Do you guys want to hear how they updated the fates of the main characters, or no? Up to I mean, you. Yeah. Why, oh, why in, not? in the movie, in the sequel, in the sequel, yeah. Uh, yeah, the sequel. There, it's very different. All right, yeah, I bet I'm gonna be real mad about this. <laughs> okay, so John Milner is shown driving his yellow um, Deuce Coupe towards another vehicle's headlights on New Year's Eve. After disappearing over a small hill, neither his taillights nor the approaching car's headlights are seen again hinting that the crash in which Milner was killed. The anniversary of John's death is mentioned in both sequences. So uh, I guess he actually does die 
Is he in it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I remember him being in it. He's like a, I thought he was like a professional drag racer now or something. Maybe uh, maybe it starts with the end. Yeah, okay. So the film spans four consecutive New Year's Eves from 1964 to 1967. So, just why? So, <laughs> so some of it is before the death and some of it is after. Okay, whatever. So that his fate is the same in that one. It's just dumb. So Terry the Toad fakes his own death in Vietnam. Disillusioned with the war, he, de- he decides to desert, saying that he plans to go to Europe. Terry's supervisors believe him to be dead, as does Debbie in 1966 and Stephen Laurie in 1967. Okay. Are you... He pulls the, <laughs> pulls the old Don Draper, huh? <laughs> yeah, right? I could really see Toad, like, grabbing his dead friend's <laughs> freaking dog tags and wearing them home. <laughs> Oh. And then going back to Modesto and being like, guys, can't t- call me Terry anymore. My new name is, is Travis. So one of the main characters here is Joe Young, the leader of the Pharaohs. And he's killed by a sniper in Vietnam after, what af- the fuck? after promising to make Terry a Pharaoh once he returns to civilian life. So I guess they have a storyline well, together. They are, it goes to Vietnam. Are you shitting me? Are you- I need to watch this now and hate on it so much. This this sounds like a horrible adaption of a Stephen King novel that never was even <laughs> written or something. Okay, so Stephen Laurie's relationship is strained by her insistence that she start her own career. Steve forbids it, saying he wants her to be a mom to their young twins. Oh, I mean, that Whoa. seems like something that character would do. He was kind of a dickhead. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. I just don't want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> And then free-spirited Debbie Dunham has switched from Old Harper Whiskey to marijuana and has given up her platinum blonde persona for a hippie groupie one in a long, strange trip that ends with her performing with a country and western musical group. What the this hell? Is, this is fan fiction from someone who <laughs> double-featured this in Forrest Gump, and I hate them. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god, that was the... Oh, that's the worst thing I've ever read. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't directed by Lucas, but he picked the director, the writer-director. His name is Bill L. Norton. Never heard of him. Oh, I mean, I, you know, George Lucas, also the creative mind and genius behind Howard the Duck. So, you know picked the writers and directors for that and had every executive decision. <laughs> and Howard the Duck also shot in that same California town, by the way. Did, uh, really? It doubled for Cleveland? I guess so. Did Coppola produce that? Because he has a tendency to go one sequel too many. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brian, what's kind of funny is, uh, I know I was recently on one of your intros talking about Corman, and Coppola's first movie, I think, Dementia 13, is on the marquee. In this, uh, oh, really? in this movie, and it would have—I think it would have been in theaters at the time this movie actually took place. And that is actually, I think, his first film. He, he was working for Corman, and he directed Boris fucking Karloff. Wow! If you could imagine that, yeah, just insane. So that's awesome. Uh, and there's also, I think, elements of this movie, The Terror, or something like that, later on that used shots of Dementia 13 and I think Dick Miller is in Dementia 13 also if I'm not mistaken so it was a real Corman affair but even back then. Awesome. Yeah that's why you're the resident historian Mike. That's why you're the resident historian. <laughs> and I was in theaters back then watching it for the first time as a feisty 12 year old. <laughs> Alright so let's forget more American graffiti and let's just 
go back to the glory that is American Graffiti. So Rotten Tomatoes has it at 96% by the critics, 84% by the audience. But, you know, we do things a little differently nowadays on High School Slumber Party, as you know. We rate by grade. So A plus to F or F minus or whatever. I don't think it's going to come to play today, but what do you guys want to rate on your report card for American Graffiti? Um, all right, well, so... You know, this time watching it, I'm definitely giving it an A-plus this time. I mean, this movie has always had an A for me, an A grade, and I understand why people, you know, might not dig this movie, believe it or not. Like, some people might think, like, the sound is annoying or, you know, the cinematography isn't good or to their liking because it's not super crisp and all that kind of thing. But uh, this movie just pushes all my buttons, and it's what I love about, like, this stage of American cinema Dare I say, this might be my favorite George Lucas movie that he's ever directed. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but, like, A New Hope has never been my favorite out of the series. Um, It's not my least by any means. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. But I just think, like, this this represents George Lucas, like, entirely. as Like, if you watch this, I think you get a better understanding of who he is than if you watch Star Wars. Um, So, you know, I... You know, for me, this is way up there at the top. Give him, give him that grade. You know, way to go, George Lucas. All right. How about you, Chris? Uh, I'm going to give it an A. Uh, it is fantastic. I think it is uh, quintessentially American. I think it is a movie that you can point at when someone says, like, what is an example of, like, American culture? Like, a purely American movie. You know, it's like this and Easy Rider, like, the two earliest examples of those kind of movies that I think mm. I would point to. Um and, uh, yeah, it, it, like I said, the DNA of this movie is all over, uh, this, this podcast, like through all of the things it, it inspired and the, 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 the tropes and ideas that were pulled from it and originated here. Um, it's an important movie. It's a great movie. And, um, much like when I was on Myth of the American Sleepover, I, I'm not sure that this is a movie though, that an actual high school student today would enjoy in any way. Uh, hmm. So we we kind of talked about that with that episode, how it's like um it's a high school movie for people who are out of high school. And the, I think that nostalgia factor is even more amplified here. I'm surprised that works because I have no love for like 50s greaser rockabillies. I'm sorry, Mike. Um, <laughs> I have no interest or love <laughs> for that culture or that time. So like the fact that I still think the nostalgia works in this movie is i think it says it's really fucking good at what it does yeah no i agree with you there um we've seen it a lot on this podcast even going back to christine or mike a film we did together hello mary lou prom night (laughs) two there has been some uh Mm -hmm. a lot of 50s nostalgia or and this is early 60s but you know what i mean like pumped into these films and it doesn't always hit for me but i loved this film this is might be now one of my favorite films overall. That could just be because I'm watching all these high school films, but this is everything I wanted it to be and more on this watch. So I'm giving it I'm giving it that A plus, my rare A plus here. But that's it's awesome. I, I can't wait to like again recommend it to people who haven't seen it because there are plenty of people who haven't seen this film. And I think you all should, but if you've listened this far into the podcast, I'm sure you have. If not, we pretty much explain the entire film to you and probably ruined it but but watch it anyway it's just awesome a plus um sleeping bags guys what kind of sleeping bags do you want to 
to bring up, bring to the sock hop slumber um, party today. I got my official Wolfman Jack sleeping bag. You might not have thought they'd make that because <laughs> marketing isn't what it used to be. <laughs> but I'm sure he, uh, you know, Wolfman definitely deserves a sleeping bag, a fucking lunchbox, his own cereal. I mean, the man, aside from Alan Freed, he's like one of the men at this time, I feel like, you know, represented rock and roll and like, you know, it's just great. I just love his image and all that kind of thing, so I'm going to put it on my sleeping bag. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm trying to see if there was ever a Wolfman Jack lunchbox, I unfortunately. No, probably not. I don't think he really lived to be that old either, right? So, I, you know, I think this is his sort of one of his legacies right here. H- how about you, Chris? What sleeping bag you bring to the slumber party? Uh, well, today? seeing as I just received um, a full scholarship in Fortnite to the school, um, College back east university, <laughs> the colors of that school. The, the, only that, the only way that that is uh, where he's going to is referred to is the college back east. So I want I want that university on my sleeping bag. Nice, nice. I can see it right now. <laughs> That's great. I wonder what their mascot is. <laughs> it's a good question. You guys will both know this segment at this point, but next segment is rent two movies, get one movie free. I'll let you both pick one movie that we'll watch, theoretically, at our slumber party after American Graffiti. So I'm going to steal my answer from uh, an article I was reading about American Graffiti uh, from The Dissolve, rest in peace. So it's a dead website anyway. So I'm, It's not really grave robbing, <laughs> it's just, you know, reappropriating. They mentioned when they were talking about the, the closing credits, like they were talking about how it's used in Animal House as well and a lot of other movies. And then they realized that Animal House takes place in 1962. So like... The graduating oh. seniors Whoa. of this movie could be on that campus as college freshmen, and like I think let's let's double feature that. I think that'd be really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, good call. Wow, that's awesome. I was going in a way different. That's direction. fine. That's fine. <laughs> it, it's our slumber party. We can do what um, we want to, girl. So hey, girl. Um, so a movie that came to mind while watching this, uh, mostly due to the style, that like very naturalistic style and you know, almost that fly on the wall aspect of it. Like you're there, you're just hanging out. Um, I know we mentioned stuff like Dazed and Confused and things, but the movie that really came to mind is Kids. Mm. Um, So, you know, I don't know which one you want to watch first. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be an interesting uh, interesting night, that's for sure. (laughs) Like as far as American cinema goes, like that's probably the next most naturalistic, like, shot movie i think i can think of um so uh who would have ever compared the two or whatever but i'm putting it out there that's awesome that sounds fun those are great recommendations guys i really appreciate it ah so it seems like it's the end of our drag race hopefully it's not a fiery mess but uh (laughs) anything you guys want to plug i mean i guess plug your shows and such um, you have like 30 shows. I'll, I'll go first so this can get, get cut better. Uh, <laughs> speaking of nostalgia, we talk about a time that I guess, as I mentioned earlier, I don't actually have any nostalgia for anyway because we're at about 2008 right now. Uh, we're covering the Now That's What <laughs> I Call Music discography uh, volume by volume over on Now and Again. And uh, yeah, we are right about 2008. Lady Gaga is about to hit. So very, uh, well, actually, by the time this comes out, who knows Who knows where we'll be? So uh yeah, uh, just if you're into pop music, if you're into that era, or just kind of hearing two guys laugh about those times and such, uh, yeah, now and again, come check us out. Awesome. Um, catch me on a few shows, uh, but a lot of them coming back this year. We just did a new Cage Club episode. He finally 
released the film this year. It's incredible. I suggest everyone go check that out. We're going to be coming back soon on Keanu Club with John Wick 3. Watch the Throne. We just did the long shot episode. That's out there. Uh, Cinemakers is sort of asleep for the moment, uh, but lots of great back episodes to that series. Fridays are for fun right about now, as Brian is aware, because he also has his, his, this show on Friday. But also check out Alternating Fridays every other week, the Tom Tom Club, where Joey and I are watching the entire cinema. Uh, we're watching all of Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise's movies, alternating weekly, comparing, contrasting, talking about enjoying getting ready to enjoy the rest of Hanks, um, already enjoying all of Tom Cruise's stuff. So we're real deep in there now. We're, we're, it's, we're starting Tom Hanks's Golden Mile or whatever you want to call it. Um, we just, at the time of this recording, watched Joe mm-hmm. vs. the Volcano. I think the Mission Impossible episode for um, Cruise is out about now. That was a great rewatch. And then I got the Third Time's a Charm, which is every third of the month. Uh, you can check me out there talking about the third film in a franchise. And uh, yeah, so Mike, all if, that if I'm not mistaken, I think um, that Cinemaker's Christopher Nolan season had an extremely brilliant and handsome guest host, right? Everyone should definitely go, <laughs> yes, yes, go listen to that. Very true. Um, the enigmatic Dr. Chris podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well... Thank you guys so much for chatting about American Graffiti with me. It was a blast. I hope you guys had as much fun as I did. It's really good to talk about a really great film, you know? Yeah, tell me about it. Over on Third Time's a Charm. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't happen too often there, but we still have fun there too, that's for sure. All right, thanks so much, guys. Catch you on the flip side. Later. Wolfman Jack here. Hope you really enjoyed that episode on American Graffiti with some awesome guests. My main man, Mike Manzi, and my other main man, (coughs) Sorry, that really, really hurts my voice. (laughs) Big thank you, as always, to Mike Manzi. Big thank you to Chris Podcast. I think we just, you know, I think we all liked that film, but we gained a new appreciation for it, watching it again and discussing it. And that's one of my favorite things about High School Slumber Party. Because, you know, you watch a film and you have your opinions, but when you talk it over with everyone, that's when you really form your opinion. For better or worse, but, ugh, this movie's amazing. I can't recommend it enough. Go George Lucas, you know? This guy, uh, this guy's, uh, you know, he's got potential. I think he could, uh, do big things one day. (laughs) Well, next week... We are moving into a completely different direction because, as mentioned, it was Thanksgiving yesterday, and it's the holiday season now, officially. Some people put up the tree before Thanksgiving. Ugh, heathens. Now it's the time, you know? Now it's the time to decorate. Now it's the time to celebrate your Christmas, your Hanukkah, your Kwanzaa, whatever it is, until we make that push to New Year's Eve, and we celebrate that, but let's enjoy December, and let's enjoy the beginning of the holiday season with, what else, but a Hallmark Christmas movie. You're surprised, right? Well, there are not too many high school Christmas films, but we got some this year, I promise. And we're going to start off with a film I'm sure you've never seen, but I want you to track down. It's called Homegrown Christmas. Sometimes life... Maddie can take over the dance with Carter. I can. And the holidays can take you full circle. The two of you were meant to be. Lori Loughlin and Victor Webster star in an original Countdown to Christmas movie. 
That's the funny thing about dreams. If you believe in them, they come true. Homegrown Christmas on Hallmark Channel. Yeah, we're doing that. <laughs> but of course, we have a great guest. He's a lifetime expert. He's been on the show before. You may know him from Too Fast, Too Forever. That's Joe, too, and I can't wait to have him on. I hope he's a Hallmark movie expert as well, because this one's going to be interesting. And guys, it's hard to find, but not impossible. Just Google it. Seems like the Hallmark channel tried to wipe this from history once uh, Aunt Becky got in a little bit of legal trouble, but we'll talk about that next week. Thank you so much, guys, for stopping by, listening to all our chat about American Graffiti. Happy Thanksgiving, and happy holiday season. I leave you with another song from the great American Graffiti soundtrack. Let's get that nickel again. I know you're not sick of this. Let's put it in the jukebox. The song is called Good Night, Sweetheart. Some places it's listed as Good Night, well, it's time to go. But I know the band is the Spaniels. Good night, everyone. Later, dudes. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go home. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go home. I hate to leave you, but I really must say It's over. Go home. Go.